Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion Podcast. I'm Sean Kenny with the Republican Standard. Sitting opposite me, Marty Davis with the Fredericksburg Advance. Marty, how are things? Things are raving good, man. Raving good. Yes, they are. (laughs) Obviously, we just had a little piece of breaking news. This is going to hit people next week, obviously. Um, Possibly by that point in time, the the Israeli incursion of the Gazan Strip will be going on in force. But we just ended up, uh, there's a bit of a protest in downtown Fredericksburg with pro-Palestinian supporters out there, um, maybe numbering, how, how many would you say? I'd guess there are about 30 people out there. Okay, yeah, but uh, we were able to break that first for folks? Uh, we beat the Freelance Star. We beat everybody that there is to beat around here. <laughs> we beat the Freelance Star. It's like <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. There's, that's, that's it. Yes, uh, our, our readers know. That's right. So, um, a new first. And so, uh, you know, Friday will prove to be a different day, but obviously that's uh, – blazing headlines uh, everywhere and kind of subduing a lot of what we're seeing in local politics and state politics and Absolutely. preoccupying. So it's, uh, um, you know, definitely prayers for peace in that part of the world because it doesn't look like it's uh, going to get better anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, but in slightly better news, Marty is a political prognosticator and, um, you know, it's kind of Swami says over here, um, you know, back in June and July, we we're talking about things Democrats ought to run on. Um, we get back to the to the to the book banning stuff in Spotsylvania County, and of course nobody listens in August, nobody listens in September, and then all of a sudden in mid October, this hail mary pass comes out, and what's the big issue Democrats are running on right now? Spotsylvania Spotsylvania School Board. How did they stumble upon this uh, the, this or this stroke of genius? Uh, they're running on it because they are struggling right now, and they're not doing as well as they'd hope to do. And so, uh, finally, hopefully, someone is waking up and listening, um, and realizing that um, this is the thing that is at the very heart of what people are enraged about in Spotsylvania. Yeah, and that's I mean absolutely true, right? And so, and not just Spotsylvania; it's uh, uh, Hanover County. I think is another one where it's percolating. I mean, there are other Orange localities. County, uh, and it's you know depending on how elections go in Stafford, it could very well be Stafford next. Exactly. So this is something where it's it's a hot button issue. Finally, folks are kind of talking about it. Unfortunately, with national news, I don't know. I mean, do you think anything of like, like what's going on in, in the Middle East is actually going to kind of dampen what we're talking about here in Virginia? I mean, it seems like. It's having that kind of effect at present, um, but I don't know if it if it. I mean, does a swing vote does it help uh, folks push like push people to the polls in November? Um, I, I, I I wish I could tell you that it did. I don't believe it does. Um, you know, I've been watching the voter turnout numbers uh, in Spotsylvania and in Stafford and in Fredericksburg. Uh, you know, VPAT publishes those every mm-hmm. day, uh, and they are lagging well behind where they were uh, two years ago, which is really rather disconcerting um but it always does it's an it's an off it's an off-year election right so it's like it's it's not only is it off-year in terms of i mean there's no there's no statewide gubernatorial candidate but it's also not federal candidates so we tend to do turnout tends to be really poor in 2023 2019 2015 etc which magnifies the importance of people turning out to vote though right because that is precisely the time that you know the, the 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 real extremists have their best shot to win seats and um that's what's so disconcerting to me right now we have some real um troubled people running for office in Spotsylvania who could do real damage if they get in yeah and um and i'm not seeing the emotion i'm not seeing the outrage i'm not seeing the turnout um and what really bothers me Sean to be honest with you is I don't see the outrage from the governor, uh, and this this bothers me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a man who has built his entire career on the rights of parents, on excellence in education, and yet, even though he has been in and around Spotsylvania and Stafford innumerable times over the last two years, absolute crickets on what is happening in Spotsylvania, and I find it inexcusable. Do you think that, uh, I mean, he, does, he, he talks about Loudoun County a lot and what's going on there. Um, you know, it's almost like 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 the governor specifically wants to, to like find a foil and pick on that rather than you know say okay, well, what's the alternative? Show me the public education system that's actually got it together. Um, you know, we might say like Thomas Jefferson High School, but that's an easy layup, right? Everybody wants to be Thomas Jefferson High School. Well, I'll tell you a public school system that is doing it very well and that they're not putting the attention on. And all you need to do is go to one of the poorest parts of the state in Southwest Virginia. 
and go look in Wise County. Wise, when everyone else was tanking SOLs over COVID, Wise County was going in the other direction. Wise County has consistently outperformed every other district in this state over the last two to three years. And that has got everything to do with a man named Matt Hurt, mm-hmm. um, who you know, actually figured out how to use SOL scores the way they should be used. And this is one of the things that a lot of people who read me and my complaints about standardized testing don't get. I'm not anti-standardized testing. I am anti-using those tests in a political way to score points. Matt took that data, worked it, and man, they drill down, they find where the problem spots are, and then they get the help these people need to turn it around. Um, you know, there's some some data on, um, you know, recent data on graduation rates that just came out that was published. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I think Spotsylvania is somewhere around, you know, graduation rates, uh, I don't know, 80%, something like that. Uh, Stafford's about the same. Fredericksburg City Schools are way down, way not even in the ballpark, right? They're, they're really struggling. You know what Wise County's graduation rate is? What's that? 98%. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. And that's what happens when educators are allowed to do their job and people who know how to use test data can look at that data, analyze it, and then move on it. And politicians just, quite frankly, Sean, stay the hell out of it and Mm -hmm. let the professionals do what they are trained. Yeah, so we need to take the Wise County model and export it across Virginia. Is that what we're hearing? Well, um, not only is that what you're hearing, but Matt Hurt and I are just starting on a project to co-author a book together that makes just that argument. Outstanding. Outstanding. Congratulations. I look forward to reading it. So. And we're going to get Matt here in uh, this chair here uh, one of these days pretty soon. Very good. But occupying the chair presently is somebody else. Marty, you'd like to introduce our guest. Uh, listen, it is my deep honor tonight uh, to welcome someone that I have known since I wasn't quite old enough to change his diapers when I first met him, but we weren't too far <laughs> removed from those days. Uh, Michael Bush, who was running for the Board of Supervisors in Spotsylvania County, a young 23-year-old man. Yes, sir. Right? Um, and the reason I know Michael as well as I do is that Michael and my son played football together for the Spotsy Cougars way back in the day when they were winning all kinds of championships oh, yeah, and titles yep. and just having a great time. Michael, we are just thrilled to have you here tonight. So and glad to be here with you. So the first thing I really want to know, um, how are the commanders going to do now that they got new ownership? <laughs> well, so the funny thing is, is I do not root for the commanders. I don't really pay much attention to them. I pay more attention to the Cleveland Browns because I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, <laughs> so okay. taking a little you know left turn there, but, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see how the rest of the year goes. I actually feel better about it, but um, better than than usual, right? Because I'm. I'm a I'm a sad fan base. So nice. You know, yeah, we, we 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 deal with it. We we deal with the struggle just as much as anyone. So is, is it better or worse than the, than than Washington though? Because oh, we're I, I don't think many people can argue about the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> I, I I empathize with your pain. Yeah, thank you very much. Because so, the pain is real. Yeah. It just mm. <laughs> well for uh, those for those deep who empathy. Listen, yeah. <laughs> Well, for those in Spotsylvania who may have watched Michael in his playing days at Chancellor High School, um, you know, I will tell you, Michael was one of the hardest hitters I ever saw. <laughs> yes, uh, sir. I saw him put more than a few people on their rear sides. Lay the and, wood. Uh, but the thing I loved about it, Michael, is like, you know, you decleat some dude and then you're standing right up and got that hand out and like... <laughs> I don't know if you're saying, come on up, brother, let's play some more ball. If you're like, come on up, brother, I'm going to do it to you again. I'm not sure which one it was, but uh, you seem to have a good time on that field. Yes, sir. Those were the days. Um, I did have a good time on the field. That was was my high school career. Played football freshman year through senior year, Um, even before that when I was 10 years old, obviously. But, um, yeah, graduated from Chancellor High School. That was my alma mater. Um, Played with Coach Oliver, rest in peace. And, you know, really, really hope that they um, they can do some some good damage going into the rest of the season. Um, you know, it looks like they're picking things up. So I'm, I'm rooting for my alma mater. Well, I have to tell you, we have a little bit of a rivalry going on here, Sean, because uh, my oh. son played for Riverbend High School. Yeah. And, and, then I, and, and I I'm co- a Cortland guy. So. You're a Cortland guy. Yeah. And then I wound up coaching at Riverbend High School for five years after Austin and, and Michael graduated. And uh, we were just reminiscing before, my son had a two-year streak where he had not missed a single field goal.
Bowl. And if I'm not mistaken, in their senior year, this young man sitting over here next to me wrecked it by getting his hand on an extra point and denying him the score. And, Michael, I love you, brother, but I still have never forgiven you for that one. Well, it's an honor. <laughs> just grind it in. I love it. That's awesome. So, so Michael, obviously, so, look, you're running for, for Board of Supervisors um, in Spotsylvania County. Um, this is not exactly a high-paying job. It's not like it's got great benefits, but it is a full-time job, right? 23 years old, right? You're just out of the shrink wrap. Like, why? Why would you want to run for Board of Supervisors of all things? What motivated you to throw your hat in? Well, that's a great question. I I grew up obviously in this county, so I have a deep connection with the ins and outs, and I've volunteered in this county. I have um, worked alongside my neighbors. I've I've been a an active community member. I was raised to be an active community member, so. I take a lot of pride in knowing the ins and outs and and feeling, you know, so so a little bit of my background after high school, I I went on uh, to graduate from CNU, Christopher Newport. I got my degree in political science. Um, I've I've been an advocate and activist of human rights and of just people in general for my entire life. And I, I really believe in in the things that I believe in with a great passion and I, and that passion drives me to learn more about what's going on and and so after graduation I did a year of service for AmeriCorps I worked up in Newark New Jersey as an 8th grade math teacher um shout out Great Oaks Legacy and I you know moving moving after that I I actually came back home early uh, to help my mom you know deal with some health issues and and really was by her side throughout some of pretty hard times that she was dealing with. And that was in April of this year. And April of this year, they had a school board meeting where they were talking about banning 17 books from our schools. And I believe that that's a violation of our First Amendment rights. And I I believe that that was um, a motivator to learn more what's going on. And and so my job actually coming back here... um, I started working with a school board member. Uh, I started working with Nicole Cole and Nicole Cole has a a financial services group and she is expanding her business. And so uh, with that expansion, she onboarded me and I'm, I'm going through the process of, of learning what it takes to be a financial advisor. And so with that, as I'm working with her, obviously she is fighting the good fight as you all are very (laughs) aware of. And she was like, Hey, uh, there's there's an opening in Cortland and your district actually just got changed because we actually used to live in the battlefield district, my neighborhood. And so that that's the district that she represents changed over the end of 2021. And now we live in Cortland and we're in 2023 and the seat was was vacant or it, it is going to be vacant because uh, the current chair, David Ross, is not running for reelection in that in that seat. Sure. Um, so so I. I decided to do my research, and about a month and a half later, in the middle of May, I I declared my candidacy. Very good. So, so obviously, you know, board of supervisors, it's land use, it's transportation decisions, it's approving, like rezoning things, and all that. It doesn't really touch the book debate, though. So, 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 talk to me a little bit about that. It's like if you figure from the board of supervisors level. What could they be doing to steer that debate, and, and and where do you think your role is in sort of shaping the conversation? So the the board of supervisors, when they appropriate the budget, they set usually anywhere from probably forty to fifty percent of their budget going towards the public education system, and so that is a huge factor in deciding how our schools are going to operate for that year. And I feel like being a a former student going through our public school system, I have seen what it's like actually being on the inside and I've felt it. And I've, I've been a product of the teachers that have vacated over the past three years. You know, I'm, I'm going back to my old high school trying to find them and they're obviously in a new job or up in Prince William or retired or something. And so, 
Um, so I, I feel strongly about making sure that we are, we are consistently funding our public education system because that's going to be the, the deciding factor of how our county in, in, in general and the big picture moves forward. Um, is invest like that? That's investing in our future. Is investing in the public education system. So, do you think it's it's a matter of of continuing to drive resources and pointing at a line? Say, you know, we we need to make sure we're doing X. Um, yeah. That's kind of the, that. That's how the board would influence the, the 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 debate. I think so. I mean, it it would be the allocation of resources. It it, it would also be working closely with the school board. We we need to make sure that our county officials are working together. We've seen a lot of division. We've seen a lot of of polarization against one another and four to three, you know, last second votes that are always, you know, the majority way and and not really coming to a consensus. And and what I'm really what I'm really excited about for the board of supervisors position is that like I I watched those meetings. I've been to those meetings and I like they, regardless of how they feel, are making sure that they come to as much of a consensus as possible before they make a decision. And that's just completely opposite of what the school board is doing right now. And and I think being a young person, getting up on there and, and participating in that, I think it could really drive people to, to start to see how things can be done, right? It, through, through generational gaps, it, it can be done. So... So, Michael, I hate to burst your bubble on this. I'm going to burst it a little bit, okay? So I've had a lot of long talks uh, with Chris Uh Yalkowski about this. And, of course, one of the problems that's, and I'm not sure, Sean, you probably know more about this than I do, but one of the issues, at least in Spotsylvania County, is the board can allocate those dollars. But once the board moves that money over, they lose complete control over what the school board chooses to do with that money. And over the last two years in particular, there have been enormous issues with the board trying to set boundaries and the school board doing what it wants to do. And I know that at the last budget discussions, there were really quite acrimonious debates because um, Yakubowski, who is a Republican, uh, who goes to the same meetings, should speak the same language, has, you know, and, and look, Chris Yakubowski, um, I have more respect for Chris Yakubowski and just about anyone here in this county. All due respect to Nicole, who sat in this chair. Yeah, um, you know I love Nicole. I think she's doing great work. But Chris Yakubowski, you talk about a man both of of character and integrity, who doesn't just talk about working across the aisle, but for goodness' sake, gets out there and does it. Yes, he um, does. And you know, Chris has expressed to me his frustration with the fact that they cannot get these people to the table to talk about anything um and you know and i can tell you as a journalist they won't talk to me for sure um i don't like it i can almost sort of understand why they don't um but so i can i can live with that but when you won't talk to the people who are sending you money that's a problem so how do you change that dynamic well we as a county change it on november 7th that's the main way that we do that um but regardless of who gets elected and how we move forward on the 8th and move moving forward in January i think our our people need to learn how to have um dialogue i mean it's not dialogue up there it's 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 banter one sided and and very um tunnel vision where you know if you if you're cutting off the mic of another board member you're not having dialogue you don't listen and and the the problem is that we have people who are not listening um on the board right and so the school board specifically and with with that i mean we have we have board of supervisors members that are competent and capable and and are are going to be integral in our change that is coming in society and we we need to make sure that 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 their voice is heard right the the the, the big voice going on right now is school board school board school board ban books ban books ban books but the board of supervisors like you said is is the one who's going to decide how much money they have what resources do they have are they you know and and yes it, it is at the end of the day up to the school board to decide for themselves, but 
you know, we, we as board of supervisors members and candidate for me, but have to set a precedent. And that precedent is listening and showing the world that we listen to each other and we make decisions on a consensus. And that's, that's how we're going to move forward as a county. So one of the things that Spotsylvania has kind of been known for is a bit of a black sheep when it comes to regionalism, specifically with the relationship between land use and transportation. Could you talk to me a little bit more about that dynamic and what you would do? I mean, would you would you make sure that Spotsylvania sort of rejoined FAMPO in, in, in a real sense? Or do you share some of the same concerns that Spotsylvania resources should be spent by Spotsylvanians and not redistributed somehow in a, in a regional framework? What are your thoughts on that? So are you, and just to clarify, you're asking about the, the, the transportation specifically. Uh, yeah. Or just- or you got, so it's, it's kind of a duality, right? Because localities set the land use, right? Mm-hmm. The Commonwealth of Virginia comes over top and spends the transportation dollars. Right. But there are local and regional outlets to kind of try to tackle some of these wider issues, right? Because it's, it's not just Fredericksburg. Um, it's not just Stafford. It's not just Spotsylvania. You've got... Uh, three different planning departments, three different local governments trying to tackle a regional problem re- in really separate ways. One of the ways to approach that, of course, is through a regional approach. Yeah. But what happens in a regional approach, what you'll hear from, from folks in Spotsylvania, and you know this, is, is that well, that means that, that we're now taking care of Fredericksburg's problems, we're not taking care of Spotsylvania's problems. Right. Or they're redirecting the growth all the way out in the western Spotsylvania, and then western Spotsylvania has to catch that grenade in a way that Fredericksburg doesn't have to. And so they look at it in terms of winners and losers. Well, that means Spotsylvania loses, right? might be better for the region, quote-unquote. It's not great for Spotsylvania. Right. The counterpunch to that, of course, is going to be, well, how else do you tackle that issue writ large? Um, and they may even go even further. If you listen to some of your states, like like the state Senate candidates or your House of Delegates candidates, they say, well, now we start talking about regional taxing authorities mm-hmm. so that the localities aren't on the string. There's actually an overlay that sort of works with VDOT and then works with local governments in order to provide regional transportation solutions. Yeah. Both of these are really controversial. Yeah. So it's a matter of like how do you how do you really approach that question especially when it, again it's like we set the locality set the land use mm-hmm. and then the state sets the transport it does the transportation dollars after the fact. This area has just exploded in growth. So it's it's a it is like one of the driving issues for a high growth locality, right? Mm-hmm. So how would you how would you tackle that question? So uh, we're at a standstill with finding ways to fund all of the different departments and things going on in our county. So with and and we just had a there was just a board of supervisors meeting in Spotsy on Tuesday, the 10th. And we can talk about that in a second. But um, learning about how many different departments need funding and are, are requesting these new things for the growth that we've had. We're going to need to rely on the state and maybe federal dollars that we can get. Um, we need, and and that that is to support members in Spotsylvania County. Like they may not like the idea of of our our growth, and and that has some sort of connotation as as we can. Uh, assume that that means, you know, oh, the, the growth and, and we're, we're turning into Fairfax County or we're turning into this county or whatever. And, and I, I, I think we really, at Spotsylvania is so, it, it's got this massive green space. It's got this massive, um, you know, rural feel to it in like the center and western, southern parts of the county that want to keep rural. Livingston County wants to stay rural. Berkeley wants to stay rural. And, and with that, I mean, we need to we need to help them realize that j- just because we're getting funding from VDOT to help improve our road infrastructure does not mean we are going to turn into a, 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 an extension of Alexandria. We are going to remain, you know, because th- th- that's what our board believes in. I mean, our, our board member, like they, they elect board members who, who believe that we should preserve that. And so I, I'm, I'm a proponent of that. I'm not a proponent of ripping up every single square inch of this county and making, you know, it turn into a house or a road. I, I want to make sure that we preserve our green space. That's something on my platform. Um, but doing it in a way that is sustainable and a way that we can, we, we, we can help fund other areas that need funding right now and, and 
use the support of the state or a regional authority to to help us, you know, improve our county. I think that would be an improvement. So if it was a regional taxing authority or something like that, you would you would take a strong look at that. Is that yes, fair to say? Yep. And then FAMPO, like would you So I'm not familiar with FAMPO. So FAMPO is the it's the Frederick Area Metropolitan planning, whatever it is, um, big acronym, um, distinct from the planning district committee, which is the George Washington planning district commission. Um, and what the FAMPO actually does is actually focuses on transportation issues. And for a long time, Spotsylvania has sort of been adjacent to it. They really haven't participated. They actually pulled out. I think David Ross is the one that spearheaded that. I'll have to. Yeah. So it's something you probably want to look into, but like, that's been a real big question in Spotsylvania is like, do we, do we really like rejoin it and, and really give it, I mean, start approaching it regionally. Do we keep doing it the way we have been, which it actually, to some degree makes problems worse regionally, but Spotsylvania gets to feel better about itself because it's, you know how this works. And it's, it's not, there's not one that's like, like a perfect, there's not a right or wrong here. It's just one's better than the other. Um, it's, 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 it's six in one hand, half a dozen the other, you get different problems with it, which whatever answer you come up with. So, um, and it's okay to say, I don't know. Most politicians can't do that. So good on you for doing that at least and having the humility. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, I, I realize the position that I'm in and I, like, I want to be as human as possible on this board. Like people should be able to see me in the grocery store and ask me a question. And like, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, at, at whatever point in time, I'm, I'm not, you know, above all. <laughs> so that's not what I believe So you're in. teachable is what we're hearing, Absolutely. right? There we right. go. Yeah. So Michael, do you want to sign up for AP Human Geography and join me? I would love to have a student like you in the man, class. Oh man. Um, so look, uh, you know, while we're talking about reason, I want to, I want to put on two things. Uh, first off, it's, it's interesting that you're talking about not wanting to become Fairfax, right? And, yeah. and there's this ideal in, in Fredericksburg. But the reality is, look, you grew up there. Uh, you grew up, you've seen the same things that I saw. Now you saw them through the eyes of a, a you know a, a child and a growing young man. Uh, I've watched it as an adult my entire life. But when we moved to Spotsylvania in in 2000, the grocery store we went to was the Giant just off of the uh, I-95 interchange, which is now Gabe's, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, Westwood Commons. Right, yes. and so then um, you know uh, five ten years later, where we were living out off of Gordon Road which was very rural, very quiet. Uh, next thing I know, Giant is moving right across no. Route 3 from Gordon Road. And now we have it all pushing out toward Riverbend. And Route 3, very quickly, is looking just like Route 17 or Route 610 to me. Uh, it's it's bad. Yeah. And then on top of that, we've got the Route 1 corridor, which is, look, look it's a freaking disaster. I mean, there's just no two ways around it. Um, so you you know what I'm talking about, and it's not I, I just put my signs up right there. So yeah, I, know. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that Route One corridor because it's not just you know the fact that there's a major veterans hospital coming into that region, but look, let's face it, you drive down that corridor six thirty seven o'clock in the morning, and you're going to see hundreds of kids lining up from hotels getting on school buses we have a major problem in that corridor what is your vision not just from a development point but from a human point right having that many kids living in hotel rooms like that's that's not a good place to start no one should have to live like that what do we do well that's an easy question for you by the way (laughs) right um I believe we need to invest in our social services programs to make sure that they have the staffing available to support those in need. The our Not only is our population growing, but the needs of our population are growing, whether that's finding affordable housing or EBT or foster care, whatever it is, like all of these services for, you know, Alice populations, the working poor and, and them not general like being stuck in this cycle and we need we need to break the cycle that that starts with funding a a government service that that creates better outcomes for our civilians which starts which brings to the second part of the question i want to bring in megan here because megan uh, works for gwrc she's heavily tied into the housing issue and we know that housing is a major problem in spotsylvania it's a huge problem here megan i would love to hear your thoughts on some of this and some questions you might have for uh, the candidate about um, what you think needs to be done and how gwrc hopefully could work with spotsylvania 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, affordable housing continues to really be the crux of the issue across the board, right? And that's something that, um, you know, we need regional support in the conversation for of the issues of affordable housing and not just affordable housing, but issues of homelessness, right? Like Marty said, you have you know, families living in hotels, right? And that, I mean, that is a cycle on its own, as you were speaking to, right? The having to pay weekly for hotels, right? You're trapped in a cycle of um, real, you know, true, true difficulty that is really challenging to escape from. Um, and so when you're talking about all of these services, I guess, you know, my question for you is what what type of regional collaboration as a board of supervisor member um, would you, you know, advocate for? Uh, what types of conversations would you want to join in agencies that you would want to support outside of just like the government agency of social services? Right. Um, uh- so the one organization I believe, it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Louis Anne's Hope House. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they are a shelter that houses um, homeless people in both Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania. Um, and, and they are really the only organization right now that is doing that, at least for, for, um, like, like that, that is a direct shelter, um, for people who need it in Spotsylvania and that's not even in Spotsylvania. So, um, my, my question to my other board members, once I get there is, well, where are the other shelters that can be, you know, in, in the rural parts of Spotsylvania County that are, you know, I don't even know how many miles away or it would take however many minutes to get there. And people can't, uh, people can't afford the transportation just to go, you know, to wherever there's one shelter that, that has, you know, a, a full capacity at all times. Um, so I, I would make sure that we, you know, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with all of the different organizations doing this work, but I, I want to learn more about, you know, the, the, the ones that can provide, you know, a, a direct shelter to, to kind of help those who have that lack of security find, you know, the time to, whether it's apply for a job, whether it's get ABT so that they can eat and feed their family, whether it's, you know, what, whatever the situation and, and use that, um, use that to our leverage, to our advantage to get, you know, those people. And, and what's so hard about this issue is that there's so many people on the brink of homelessness who, who are working paycheck to paycheck, working two jobs and not being able to take care of their kids. And their kids are going to Spotsylvania County public schools where they got all these issues going on. And it's just, you know, it, like, like we said, it's a cycle. Um, so I will have to do more research on uh, the organization specifically, but organizations like the Hope House that can house, um, you know, GWRC are doing like do, that are doing this type of work. Um, you know, it takes a lot more research, but um, but that's that's the path I'm on. Yeah, well, I'm you know, we, I, I've, we're very open, you know, to engaging in those conversations at GWRC and Lois Hands Hope House is a fantastic organization. They also run uh, they're the the main family shelter. So there are, you know, a number of other uh, organizations and entities working in the space that we'd be happy to kind of connect you know, with as well. Um, but they also, I think another important thing if in discussing this issue is Lois Hands Hope House also runs the homelessness helpline, which connects individuals to all the services throughout the region. Um, but you know, we're always trying to foster a regional conversation around these types of issues. And, and you're very correct in asserting that there's a lot of people that are on the edge of this conversation and that are, you know, not far away, you know, I would venture to say that all of us know many people that are in that boat that are just, you know, one incident away from having serious housing insecurity, one family emergency, one high dominion bill, right? Correct. I mean, there's so many things that are really intersect throughout this issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, we would, we'd be happy to have that conversation and, and share, you know, a lot of the resources, but those resources, you know, really do need regional support, you know, from the, you know, the city of Fredericksburg and throughout the localities, you know, which, which GWRC works very closely with, um, and issue these issues and also working, you know, helping to coordinate FAMPO and, and these other entities, because all of those things really intersect together, you know? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm 
I'm more than willing to to make sure that our board does the work. I just need to know <laughs> which organizations are already doing it. I do not want to invent reinvent the wheel. I want to make sure that you know we we are making sure that that this is a community conversation because it affects everyone. I mean the the prices are rising for everyone. Um, we we are we, we're seeing the highest interest rates in housing that we've seen in I don't know how long. I mean someone else would know that, but I I know that they're insanely high, being you know over seven percent. I mean that's you know and and just having um, uh, this this lack of supply in general is is going to drive these issues. So mm-hmm. yeah. The highest interest rate since Ronald Reagan. You have to go all the way back to 1982 wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. to find interest rates as high. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's so, what it is. So it's wanna, sobering. Yes, it really is. Yeah. So I want to um, redirect here a little bit if I can, Sean. Sure. Um, so, Michael, one of the, the really interesting things about you, first of all, I want to second what Sean said. You know what? If more politicians came to the table and spoke authoritatively about what they know and admitted what they don't know and are open to learning, Mike, Goodness, we'd be in a much better place than we are right now. <laughs> my word. Um, like I tell my students every day, like I don't know it all, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you when I don't know something. Uh, we, need to, we need to get better as a people about doing that, but that's another story. Uh, one thing you do know a lot about, and I have, I've seen the videos, but when you were at CNU, you were doing some really innovative work around poetry and music. Yes. Uh, and I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about uh, how you got into that and um, sort of what's happened to it and where you are with it. And I know Corey, the man behind the mic over here, uh, it being the musician himself, I think the two of you would really connect on this issue. But I'd love to hear more about it. All I've ever really seen is the videos, and they are breathtaking to me. Thank you. I, I You know, it's it's been um, it, it's been a long journey of learning my voice, uh, because that is a, a beautiful instrument as it, as it should be for everyone. And I, you know, like a, as that intersects with politics, that intersects with the arts and it intersects with you know, so many different, um, areas and, and we need to like make sure that our voices are heard. And so I, for, for me, like I, I did, small kind of easy poems in 11th grade English and that that was a a driver as to and you know generally like I I really was a STEM kid growing up I was I was in the highest math I I wanted to do math originally and and you know science I love science learning about like the STEM topics but you know I always had this this angst when it came to the creative arts and the English and the histories and the, the be creative, write whatever it is. And, and just, I, you know, I, I do want to shout out a teacher as well that I had Miss Foreman in 11th grade English, um, because she, um, <laughs> it gets me emotional. She helped me discover that I could speak, with power and intention and that my voice would help others do the same and and so that voice started with writing um, and reading and learning how to effectively communicate um, in what was it my Sophomore year, um, I started really diving deep into my experience as a as a biracial man and learning kind of the ins and outs of like I'm not black, I'm not white because at that point in time I felt like. You know, everyone else was telling me what I was and who I am. (laughs) And I like I like through poetry, I learned how to advocate for who I was, who I am and who I will be. And my 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 journey is is still going. Um, I'm not anywhere near done. I I really have kind of taken a, a actually a little break from poetry kind of after 
um, generally just after like 2020 and, and that being such a stressful time, I was writing a lot and, and really face first into all of the words that I was writing. But I'm in this position now where I, I, I do read through some of my old poems and, and help, uh, it, 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 it helps give me the confidence and the power that I need um, and the autonomy to, uh, to, to, to get through this race, to get through where I've been at, you know, in the hardest times of my life and, um, just, just helps me think straight really. Well, look, Michael, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you have any of that poetry, I, I would love to hear it. If you don't, it's okay. Well, I, I, I do understand. have them on the notes on my phone. Um, I know you, you, we, we were talking about my poem gray area, which I started yeah. reading it in the car before I got here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to share if you all have the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's <laughs> but, go. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll do this without crying, <laughs> but, uh, this is a gray area. So when a black person and a white person have a child, what race is produced mixed? You would say mixed with what, what are you? It's a pretty gray area. If you ask me a gray area. We find black and white to combine and mix over the line that draws a history of slavery and segregation. What are you, human? But I'll sum it up this way. I am the yin and yang. I live a life of balance. I am racially ambiguous. My life is a code switch. I am a mural painted with the colors of indifference, to say the least. My mixed thoughts are to the T of my ambiguity. I represent the hue of my mother and father. May he rest in peace. Now, there's a problem, a gray area. I'm the problem. I usually back down from an opportunity to express my perspective or choose to lighten up when I'm told I'm doing too much. Black down, whiten up. Despite the roughness, it takes fortitude, mental toughness to be in my position. I fight Throw hooks, one left, one right. To you, I am too black, too white. I must stand in my own world without always having to fight. My fellow white community, picking a side is ridiculous. And picking your side is even more. No, let me explain to you why I can't. I shall write it down. I shall speak. And I will not. I shall not lighten up. Do I fit in now, black community? All you ever say is tighten up. I can sip a little boozy with my alpha amigos, but never outside or wipe me down or pipe it up. Lighten up, yo. We still consider you one of us, kind of, sort of. You sort of, kind of don't hear what I'm saying. All I ever hear you say is lighten up like the color of your skin you don't fit in. Suddenly, you learn to just bite the dust. I receive so much discrimination each day. When I write it down, I still can't even write enough. I still to this day have black folk calling me white, but for the white folk, my skin just really isn't white enough. It's a pretty gray area for me. But when a cop pulls me over, they don't think I'm white then. If the officer detained me for resisting arrest, if I said I was half white, would he spare my life then? All right then. When the professor pops the question about race and I'm the only black, I'm sorry, mixed person in the room to answer the question, what's the difference between being black and African-American? And the room goes silent as my white classmates are victims of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, knowing that those who answer incorrectly could be in huge trouble of losing their... I'm sorry, that's only how the black kids feel when the cop pulls them over to the side to have you shot dead for posing a threat as you looked a little older, posing a threat as you reach your hand down to what might be a gun or a five-leaf clover, not four, five feet away. Mr. Officer, my hands are up. I'm not walking any closer. Compared to white kids coming from families who don't care if they drive Range Rovers back to the places from they left not sober to their big houses and don't discuss race relations in their homes because that period of history is over. I'm over it. There's more to the story on both sides, right? As logical as we can get, I describe to you gray, a mixture of black and white. This black is the absorption of all color and light, but we see lonely distance from other colors. For black, there is only black, yet white, the reflection of all colors, and then light, and yet why does it never seem to be accepting of all colors except white? I mean, I'm sorry, that's a pretty gray area. We're past that. On to now, where up until my senior year of high school, they didn't have a box to check for my racial identity. Because a person like me of mixed races couldn't represent a bridge conjoining two entities, I mean, for the life of me. 
White people think I'm some sort of funky creation, a sight to see. Black people think I have the best of both worlds, but living with your discrimination and not fitting into your culture isn't an easy life for me. I mean, people think because of my curly hair and my light brown skin that the sun is always shining bright for me. And sadly, I think the only people who see it from my point of view, my angle, my story, are those that share the same life as me. I empathize your lives every single day. But how come no one can empathize the life of me? And then I look at people like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., my alpha brother. You fight for little black children and white children, but would you fight for me? Of course you would fight for me. Because I'm the product of your dreams of integration and harmony. I'm grateful you gave your life for me and you and you and you and you and everyone. We are on the same team on a bridge to a better tomorrow that light you see at the end of the tunnel. We shall transcend all that burden doesn't frighten me because I can't change the color of my skin, whether I'm Kira's son or John's son. I'm just Michael. To those of you who understand, thank you. Now it's your turn to enlighten me. To those of you who still don't understand, my world is a gray area. I guess your world is just too black and white for me. That was excellent. Yeah, pretty cool. That was wild. (laughs) Wow. You have a gift, sir. Why are you wasting it in politics? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. Thank you. I think think politics is is a a stage that I need to be on. There you so. go. Yeah, that's great. Three uh three greatest influences for your poetry. <sighs> um uh well, old old older influence James Baldwin, current influence uh Black Chakra. He does uh he he really travels all over the world at this point. Um you know, I, I, the, the thing is, how did you choose, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that I, I, I love listening to. I love listening to just, just, I, I mean, I, there, there were, when I had the free time, it was hours where I would just sit and listen to people talk on, on YouTube, you know, do their spoken word videos and competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many people out there that have so many good things to say and in, in such eloquent and efficient and impactful ways of speaking. Yeah, I mean, you get like Langston Hughes, you hear like Jack Kerouac yeah, and all that, the I beat mean, poets. All of it's them. Like, yeah. like, That's powerful, Langston man. Langston Hughes is, is definitely up there as well. I mean, there's yeah. just so many... <laughs> yeah, how, who do you, how do you choose? Like, I mean, it's like, like that's amazing. Oh, you got a so gift, man. man. Gosh, yeah. that's amazing. I think it's a very, very powerful thing. And I grew, you know, I grew up in uh, you know the early two thousands. So for me, when I was when I was trying to when I was breaking into like music and expression and stuff like that, the thing that really opened it up for me was the whole Neil Soul era. And it was a very conscious, at least that's what we called it, like the difference between the the commercial hip hop that people were seeing with the chains and the cars and the women and the misogyny and all this other stuff. And then the conscious hip hop was really talking about the humanity, the struggle, the the choices that we make, that we have to make, the the indecision, you know, the fear, you know, the excitement, you know. And, you know, and a lot of what you're saying is like it was like the, the precipice of that, you know, because before before Neil Soul like really took off, they were doing these poetry slams and a lot of those poetry slam poets ended up becoming later down the road, Neil Soul hip hop artists. And it was just this, this focus on society, um, that, that philosophical introspection, um, that in a lot of ways, you know, uh, black people weren't able to openly, uh, openly express, you know, and I grew up in a world where, you know, I grew up in Stafford I grew up in suburbia. I was one of the very few black people to do it. And I had to deal, I didn't have to deal with it in the same way that you did it, but I definitely had to deal with those elements of, I speak a certain way. So therefore I talk white, uh, you know, that whole thing, like there's like this strange dichotomy that, um, really jacks up your sense of, uh, your sense of identity. 
And, um, you know, so, you know, to listen to that, you know, my daughter is going to be going through the same thing. You know, she's half black, half Filipino, uh, and Korean. And she has like this really wide diaspora, which she's a part of, and she doesn't, and it's really hard for me to help her know where to begin and end because the other side of her family doesn't really express that aspect of her identity, but she does feel the difference when she's in different groups of people. And people are pointing out those things, you know, you look a little Asian and, you know, or the Blasian kid or, you know, right, right, right. You, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I deal with that every minute of the day. Yeah. People walk up to me and don't know what I am. Right. Exactly. And, and that like, I'm, I'm a walking piece of politics. Like, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and where people can't decide, you know, pe- people can't put me into this box. Right. And I, I'm, I'm really learning how to step out of the box yeah. and, and be everything that I can be and, and help people understand that, look, I'm, I'm a human being. Like right. We, we, we should have one race. Right. And I was <laughs> like, I was like, can't figure it out. So yeah, <laughs> let's exactly. just be all be one. Yeah. And I, I would, one of my very best friends, his name is Michael Sullivan. Um, if anyone has ever come to Curtichiba, they've seen our logo. It's the hummingbird um, that my Mike Sullivan uh, made that for us. I've known him since high school. He's also half black half white had to deal with that he's spent most of his life people like call him like when i would talk about michael in school he'd be like oh you mean the mexican kid right you know it's like no man like what are you (laughs) right like like, what are you what are you doing you know and i've had to watch him go through that as well and having this person who's really important in my life i was a best friend the best man at his wedding he's my daughter's godfather he is for someone who's not a blood relative. He's one of the most important people in my life, but I had to watch him, you know, deal with that struggle. And, uh, and it has been really emotional for him and his parents trying to help navigate this really, um, you know, incredible terrain for him. So, you know, I, like hearing you, uh, do that poem was like, yeah, I can. It's like I'm hearing Michael Sullivan, you know. So that, that, that was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, and this one is like you know, I mean, you know, we are our, our mutual friend early in the advances uh, progeny. The first thing she does when she looks at me is like, you know, you don't look Irish. Well, it's because my mother's Lebanese. Like, okay, fine. Thank, thanks for pointing that out. I really appreciate it. But uh, um, it, I don't deal with it in the same way. But it, like, it resonates, right? Because there's. Yeah, I mean, like, starting St. Patrick's Day, yeah, I get to do that, you know, and, you know, in the summer or from, you know, in that part of the world, I get to be Lebanese, right? But it's hard to put me on either one, right? It's like the Irish are like, yeah, you're not all the way Irish. And the Lebanese are like, yeah, you're not all the way one of us either. And right. it puts you in that gray area really quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think also, um, you know, just just so you know, your words really resonate beyond just your singular experience, too. There's so many people that face that struggle and that difficulty every day, whether it's, you know, um, like children of interracial couples, interracial couples, right? We are an interracial couple, the adversity that you do encounter, right? And, and what that looks like when you don't fit a box that people really want to put you in. Um, and so I really, you know, um, I, it, your words are very moving. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Not just for us, but for our listeners too. Um, I think that those things have a far reaching impact of people who feel very alone in that struggle, especially living in rural areas where you don't see as many interracial couples and kind of what that looks like for their families, for their kids, you know, so thank you for sharing that. For sure. Yeah. Are, you gonna for pu- are you going to publish at any point? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, I would love to. I just, I, I'm always wrapped up in something else. Well, <laughs> right. I know a publication that will publish anything you write whenever you're ready to write it. Uh, I will tell you, um, I'll tell all of you, you know, the first time I heard that poem, I heard it on a YouTube video. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Austin who actually had kind of teed me in that you were doing that, sent me the link to it. And look, I love poetry. I've been reading poetry since I was little. I cannot write it to save my life. I have tried. It blows. Okay. My poetry will never see the light of day. And that is by my choice. Um, But it's not. But as a writer, um, you know, it is the poets who inspire me. Um, It's the way they play with language. It's the way the rhythms and the cadences that's had so much influence on me as a writer but I will tell you, Michael, the first time I heard you on YouTube re- read that, 
you didn't, you didn't read it, you performed it um, at CNU. Uh, it, it moved me to tears. It sends a shiver up my spine now as a, a, a guy who is as lily white as they come. Um, man, that poem teaches me something about myself and my family and who I am. And, and it forces me every day to stop and think about how am I treating other people? Am I sending off those signals? Am I making, am I meeting the next Michael Bush and making him feel uncomfortable because I'm too insecure within myself? Uh, just like Megan was saying that, that those words, man, they reach so far beyond you. And that is what gifted artists do. And I will say, Sean, I have been trying for the better part of five years to write, and this is not an exaggeration. Um, five years ago, I was asked to write an introduction to a book about why study the humanities. Why, why do we do that? And I have struck, I have, I don't know how many drafts of this thing that I have written. And it always winds up in a file on my computer somewhere because I just flat don't know what to do with it. When the, when the aliens invade, they aren't going to be interested in our STEM. <laughs> They're going to be interested in our music, our art, our culture, our poetry, you know, our literature. That's, that's what makes life worth living. And if you want to know the answer to the question of why is banning books such a bad thing, that's it right there. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's right. Uh, that poem will scare a lot of people, but you know what? That's what great art does. It doesn't scare you. It'll, it, it awakens you. And um, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Yeah, um, I mean, thank you for the space. No, I, I think, um, <clears throat> I just think that... Um, that what you said is really important, you know, and I think liberal arts gets a really bad rap. It's always, it's always the first thing to get cut. It's always the first thing to get pushed aside because it does produce this. And there are people who do not want that voice to be out there. And, um, you know, so it, 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 that, that critical thinking, that self introspection, that was really important. I wasn't getting in at school. Yeah. I found it and I found it in Neil soul. And that taught me a lot of things that I wasn't even like, it wasn't even my frame of mind, but it put it, they put it in front of me in this, in this art. And, um, and it became like a, a basis of my own personal philosophy of how to treat other people, how to treat women, how to treat, um, you know, how to, how to treat your community, that you, how to be a unifying figure, all those things. Like, my my dad had great principles, but you know he didn't always talk about things in a way that was that I was willing to you know <laughs> take right, in. Right? <laughs> you know, this is a very he he had a very forceful presence. He also could be really funny about stuff, but you know he you know they would they just they just happened to speak a language that was was really working for me. And um, you know, if I didn't have that, I probably would be a very different person today. Well, I gotta tell you, Sean. After that. Um I mean that's as good as that's as good as you're going to hear this yeah, year. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. Um, after that, I almost hate to ask this question, so um, I'm I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to dodge Michael right now because he's just put us all to shame. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to kick off with my compadre over here, Sean. What are you reading? So I'm reading a book called Marooned. It's by Joseph Kelly, and he the the the, the general thesis of of the book is that you know he goes back to like the you know where's America's true founding? Is it Jamestown or is it Plymouth? <laughs> And he says, "No, the answer is Jamestown." And he kind of, it, it's it, he 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 kind of addresses the sixteen nineteen thing, and he says, "Well, there there's that, and you have to recognize it." But he pushes a little bit further and says, "There's a better narrative that we can scratch at there." This is the concept of being marooned. Um, or the Jamestown colony was effectively that, but you know, all across the Americas, you had individuals who, you know, marooning wasn't just the the act of what we think. It's like you're parking somebody, you know, a pirate ship dumps a bunch of people on an island and leaves. Um, you could maroon yourself, and that was the act of like running into the woods and effectively joining the Native Americans or kind of forging it on your own. And so the 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 early Virginia colonial governors referred to. Um, whether it was runaway slaves or um, Irish bondsmen or whatever they're trying to get out, they referred to them as marooned. And he says that's the better narrative for America. It was like we're you have this 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 class of human being or this type of human being struggling to be free and to determine their own destiny. 
And that's how that's the narrative he starts from, and then he starts kind of feeding the the rest of the Jamestown narrative through that lens. Fascinating so far. I haven't got to the end of it. I don't know if it really works, um, but it's one heck of a twist on whether you know, like like how to view the American founding in and of itself. Great yeah. book so far. Awesome. So Corey, last week you uh, set us all ablaze with this new book about uh, music that I had no clue about. And it hasn't come in yet, but I'm, I'm waiting, still, man. I'm still waiting for my copy. I'm salivating to read this thing. Uh, are, are you still on that book, or are you moving on? I'm actually on my second pass of this book. Um, I I finished it like as quickly as I could because I just got completely sucked in. Um, the latter end of the book was extremely emotional for me, just because um, like. Uh, James, uh, James DeWitt Yancey was his was his birth name. He was later known as and immortalized as Jay Dilla, and um, uh, he died of a rare blood disease that had like an element of lupus to it, and he died at the age of thirty two. But uh, what led to that was he had he had like severe like kidney failure, and that is what ultimately killed my father. And um, just the pro, just the whole process, the dialysis and everything like that. It was just it just really took me back to that five year struggle that my dad went through. It was really hard to read that part of the book, but what was amazing about it was just you know going back to the Neil Soul thing. Like he was the pioneer of that sound and to kind of that the nostalgia of like going through the timeline of all the projects and all the artists and all the works and my favorite songs and and all the and all the artists that come out after that after his passing that just kind of passing on that that impact it's just uh it was just an incredible book so now i'm going back through it again i'm gonna be taking some notes you know, nice. really dive in and kind of figure out like where this all lands within like my own personal journey as a, you know, as a singer songwriter and producer and, you know, those techniques and like, you know, being true to the, you know, the, the art that moved me, you know? Nice. So, yeah. So yeah. Anyone who has, who did not listen to the last podcast, the book is called Dilla Time by Dan Charnas. If you're not a, um, if you're not a hip hop fan, there's still a lot of amazing history in that book. Um, there's, there's, there's something in there for everybody. So yeah, check it out. Megan, how about you? So I actually, uh, started a new book that I picked up at River B and I brought it with me. Our favorite bookstore oh, yeah. in yes. all of Pennsylvania. Best yes. bookstore in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I love it in there so much. Um, but it's called Down to the Sea, an epic story of na- naval disaster and heroism in World War II by Bruce Henderson. So it's a little bit outside of my wheelhouse of, I mean, I, I enjoy history of all, you know, strokes and sure. World War II in particular, just because of my family, like military involvement. It's always been particularly interesting to me. But my grandfather on my mother's side was a survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor. He was an Arizona survivor and then went on to do, you know, like 17 tours in the Pacific. It was extensive, you know, and then later on the Korean War, Vietnam. I mean, he had a really long naval career. Um, And so I just kind of happened to see this on the shelf and in an attempt to, you know, just try to connect with that family history and learn a little bit more. I was a teenager, young teenager when he passed away. Um, And so sometimes I think about some of my experiences in the earthquake in Haiti and not having very family members to really relate that to of such an extreme experience. I would imagine he's you know, one of the closest people that I probably could have shared that with. So sure. I reflect on that often. And so I'm, you know, just trying to learn a little bit more about that experience. So, cool. yeah. Very so, cool. So Michael, I'm almost afraid to ask you what you're reading, brother. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't be. Um, it's, you know, I, I, and I'm like, I need to start. To, I'm going to take notes after this episode because <laughs> I need to make sure I'm, I'm up on reading because I, a lot of my reading right now is news articles and everything else. But um, in terms of actual, you know, book literature, I'm uh, I just finished The Audacity of Hope by Barack Obama, his autobiography. And, you know, yes, I'm running it as, as an independent. I'm Democratic endorsed if you need to know. Um, but, you know, I, I look up to Barack Obama a lot because he deals with um, the issues of being mixed race, um, the first black president and, you know, me kind of stepping into this role. And so fun fact about this book, um, my dad 
uh, actually got that book for me on my 18th birthday. And so, you know, I, I use that as a a piece of reflection as well. Um, in the book, uh, Obama is really talking about his, uh, personal, not just uh, general reflections of him not doing the, the work of the policy, but, you know, going up to, um, citizens and having, you know, sit down conversations with people on their porch steps or, you know, walking into storefronts or talking to, um, people in the community. And, and I'm like, it's, it's very, it's crazy. The, the, the synergy of what my life has been for the past, you know, four months and you know, kind of reading this book now and, 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 and learning, you know, what, and including all of the intersections of race and all the demographics and what's going on in our local climate versus our state climate versus our national climate. I mean, it's just so much. And so I'm, I, I really have, have been enlightened to, to learn more about my community and, and help serve them better by uh, learning some of, uh, you know, the, the tactics and, and the reflections of Obama during um, at really even before his first term and kind of like a, a little bit overlapping with um, his Senate position going into his first term. So, you know, I, I'm I'm going to read A Promised Land when I have the time um, and kind of get through the um, his his series. But uh, yeah, so that's that, that's what I've been on. And I another book I will be reading in the future is The Alchemist. Um, I know that it's a good recommendation for a lot of people and I'm like super environmentalist. So that that will overlap well. Yeah, outstanding. Very good. All right, Marty, what you reading? So I um, I'm actually rereading. Um, uh, I'm in, just because of the schedule I'm keeping. I, I've had to set longer books aside for a while. <laughs> so um, I just don't have the time to read them, unfortunately. Um but uh, that has opened the door for me to read more poetry, so I'm actually rereading the collective works of Nikki Giovanni. Um, uh, and Michael, if you haven't met Nikki Giovanni, I hope you will um, someday. Um, so that wraps it up for all of us uh, here at the New Dominion Podcast tonight. Uh, Michael, thank you so much uh, for thank being you, here, for sharing your gifts, for sharing your uh, experience, and and, sh- and sharing your ambition. You know, I hear a lot of I hear from a lot of people who talk about those kids those kids well let me tell you something um kira if you're listening and i'm sure you are uh, you've done a marvelous job and john my friend who i used to sit in the stands with and watch you and my son play football together and oh my god i miss those days i love those days there's nothing like watching i mean i played football i love playing but there's nothing like watching your children out on that field on a friday night getting after it having a great time and, and sitting next to your father and talking and, and sharing. Um, John, um, my friend, wherever you are, brother, you did good. You did really good. Um, you know, we have young people like Michael, and look, I hate to poop my own horn, but, uh, you know, Michael's um, old old uh, football teammate, uh, my son, out there in the Marine Corps doing it uh, from the heart every day, uh, giving up in ways that most people will just never understand. And Michael is doing the same, um, just following his home path. Um, my goodness, what a, an amazing community we have. So from everyone at the New Dominion Podcast, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to hearing from you next week. <laughs>